This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. It's a weekly live hangout. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with a tasty beverage in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World, and Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, towards the end of the day, and here in Austin, Texas, it is getting cold and it's rainy, so... I'm, I'm really ready to kind of just start ending my day. Scary weather coming. Yeah, hopefully no snow snowpocalypse like last time. But yeah. anyways, let's not talk about weather. Let's talk about something better, which is talk about data. And today we have a guest who actually has this great book called Disrupting Data Governance. And this is Laura Madsen, who she is uh, CEO of Moxie Analytics and uh, just – we, we got to talk about data governance and about agile data governance today. Laura, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. Well, we're so excited to have this conversation. But before we start, we got to do our tell and toast. What are we drinking? What are we toasting for? Yes. So here I have a uh, Moxie Mule. So Ooh. a small modification to a Moscow mule, which is ginger beer, vodka, lime juice. And we put a little um, aloe vera gel in there, a little aloe vera extract. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. That's I did not expect that one. <laughs> I think I have some in my fridge, but it's for sunburn. So it might be the wrong thing. <laughs> I don't know that I... <laughs> I probably shouldn't eat that one. I should buy Probably one that's not. for cocktails. <laughs> yep, I'm thinking food grade. Um, <laughs> might be the way to go. Yeah. Uh, um, that sounds and, awesome. That sounds delicious. Yeah, well, it's pretty good. I mean, it's vodka. How can you go wrong? And it's in my, <laughs> it's in my Hunter Killer Moscow Mule mug. There you so, go. Not sponsored. So, what are you toasting for today? <laughs> data quality all the way. I predict 22 is the year of data quality teams. Let's see what happens if we actually, you know, I don't know, hire data quality teams. Interesting. That sounds okay. interesting. We'll have to dig into that a little bit more. How about you, Tim? What are you drinking today? Uh, today, I, I was a little rushed and didn't have enough time to create a true cocktail, which always makes me feel very uh, embarrassed. But um, I'm just drinking uh, a little bit of prohibition style bourbon from Old Forester. It's their 1920. It's pretty stout. It's a what? Uh, 115 proof, but very delicious. Well, take, take, take it easy. Take it easy there. I know. <laughs> well, I, I uh, looked at my bar and there was this green bottle of uh, vodka, cucumber vodka, and I was having cucumbers for lunch today. So I just chopped up some cucumbers and put some vodka and some uh, tonic and actually still has some of my passion fruit syrup. So a cucumber vodka passion fruit. So che cheers and, and cheers to the, cheers, to, the to this cold weather which hopefully is not going to be that terrible. So, but I like cold weather. It makes it feel kind of comfortable and I want to get inside the book, inside of your bed and go read in a good book. Uh, so talking about book, right? Here's a good book to read. All right. So warm up question. What's your favorite story of data governance malpractice? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you know, protect the guilty. Is that what it is? Protect the guilty or the innocent? Maybe both, right? <laughs> um, so there, there are a few, and 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 to be honest with you, the ones that are 
probably the most interesting I can't really talk about. Um, <laughs> but a number of years ago, uh, there was a scenario in which we had, we defined the things from a business perspective, you know, and, and that worked and it was great. And we were trying to do all the things from a back end, right? Cause that's the magic. If you can define it from the front end, and have good, clean business definitions that most people grasp, and then operationalize it in the back end so that you can take advantage of reuse, you know, blue sky and butterflies. Um, we had a little bit of a hiccup there in one of the joins in this uber complicated, um, because that's what happens when you have a whole bunch of disparate data sets. We missed a join, and it required um, us as part of a regulatory function to report adverse events. Um, events that happen when you, of course, we all know this now, right? Back in the day, nobody knew what an adverse event is, but we all know what they are now. Um, anyway, because we missed this join, because we missed the technical metadata, um, missed a table and a join, um, we ended up forgetting, not forgetting, uh, unable. <laughs> I still get nervous talking about this and it's crazy. It was 15 years ago. Anyway, <laughs> didn't report adverse events. Um, and we... Yeah, there were some implications to a, a small little government agency called the FDA and um, two weeks locked in a room with corporate risk attorneys. So, um, and that's a story I lived through. It's one of the reasons why, you know, how I got a, a, a lot of the way that I approach data governance is born out of that experience, so... Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging more into that. I remember, I think I've never been in a situation like that, but I do remember being one about uh, talking about queries and joins and people for years, literally for years, not understanding why these numbers don't match. And when I, I go in and I started analyzing these queries that they were generating these reports that were going, it was the daily sales reports that was being sent out by email to all the executives, the C-suite. And I look into this 15 page query that they're executing. And I'm like, do you know that you've hard coded a bunch of like uh, numbers in here? And uh, by the way, uh, why did, why is this definition of discount including this thing that says times 0.5? And uh, it's like, oh, that was a discount that we gave everybody two, three years ago. And like, well, guess what? Your numbers have been off for the last two, three years by 5%. So um, that's why. <laughs> fun, fun stuff. But anyways, oh my goodness! <laughs> Anything you want to add, Tim? Any, any, any other good story? Uh, I'll, I'll add one, just one, a little quick one, which is that um, one company that I was uh, uh, working with back when I was over at uh, at InfoChimps, they had a, an initial governance program in place, and um, all requests for data went to this one IT person who was in charge of all the data, all the things that people needed whenever they needed it. Uh, and he was so crushed with the responsibility and things that he had to do and so sad that there wasn't more like sponsorship and things like that. And my comment to him was, hey, this is great for you. You're like the, the czar of all things data. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> but he yeah. didn't like that. And the organization wasn't very happy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's kick it up on, on is no BS. Uh, and actually, what I find fascinating in your book, you start out with this quote that says, I really hate data governance. <laughs> Laura, honest, no BS. Why do you really hate data governance? Why do I really hate data governance? And why would I write a book about it? <laughs> I really hate data governance. <laughs> Peek inside my personality, guys. Um, 
So, so why do I hate it? So the reason I hate it and hates a strong word acknowledge, but it's been the one thing that's been holding us back. And when I say us, I mean like the data industry in general, right? I mean, it's this thing that we all know we need to do. We don't really know how to execute it. Well, when we do execute it, it's, you know, tends to be monolithic. It doesn't really work very well. There's I almost swore crappy ROI. Um, you know, executives don't want it. They don't like it. Um, but you know, well, we have to do it. And, and then you just, you just like, it's, a, you can't win. Right. And, and that's this, you're always stuck in that pressure point of, well, you have to have it. So therefore do it. I don't really know what we're doing. I'm not going to give you a new budget. I don't know. It was, it was always the thing for me, you know, when I, when I have historically led data functions and organizations that um, just was really, really tough to deliver on. Do you feel like things are getting better? No. Hmm. All right. So, so let, let's dive into this stuff. Why? So we got to fix that. Like, so what is holding us back when it comes to data governance? I mean, first of all, one of the quotes that we say a lot here, and I think this is uh, one of our friends, like Mark Kitson is the one who said this. We look at like brakes for a car, right? Is it to, we think about it as it's to slow us down, but we should really be thinking about it as it's for us to be able to go drive fast safely. So yep. I think governance has always come up as this regulatory avoiding risk, but yep. we, but that's what's annoying about it. So what is really, what are the things that are holding us back and what are the things that we should be doing and, and what are the low hanging fruit stuff that we can very easily start kind of changing to actually start turning this into a positive? Right. Yeah. So I like that idea of, you know, let's not talk about brakes as a mechanism to slow us down and talk more about the performance of a vehicle. And years ago, I talked about, um, I love to drive fast and I love fast cars. And one of my favorite things to do in the world is to come up on somebody really fast and terrorize them. I just like really enjoy that. Um, <laughs> but one, you know, one day I was driving to work, right. And it's the main freeway in Minneapolis here. And this guy comes terrorizing me, this big Ford F-150 pickup truck. Right. And I'm going 80 miles an hour easy on a Tuesday morning at 7:30. you know, hundreds of cars around me. And, and I'm looking down and I'm speeding up and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, well, who does he think he is, right? <laughs> He's going faster than me. Like, that's crazy. And why is he so following me so closely? Of course, those are the things I do. And I got out of his way. And then, and then what I realized is he was a lot like our users, right? It's not my job to tell him to slow down. <laughs> and, and if we don't, provide and it's not just about brakes and it's not just about performance it's it's about the roads it's about um the everything right it's about the bridges it's about the road signs it's about if we can allow for a certain flow of traffic then everything flows fine but if we tend to have too much policing or crappy roads or bridges that fall then we can't get the job done. And, and what governance tends to do is, you know, help with the infrastructure around all of the things that from our data, if we carry this analogy through, right, infrastructure, road infrastructure helps us with. The trouble is, is that for a really long time, we talked about governance from a command and control perspective, right? It was all about this one beautiful definition 
of the thing, whatever it is in my world, it used to be patient. We can only ever use one definition of patient. It must be blessed. Everybody must use it all the time. Um, you know, there was always this fear mongering when it came to data governance. Like, well, if we don't do this, they're going to shut our doors. Or if we don't do this, we're going to kill patients or some crazy thing like that. And, you know, there's plenty of research from a psychology perspective that shows that fear mongering is a really short term motivator, right? It doesn't get the job done for people in the long term. And there's nothing more long term than data governance. I mean, it just, you just, you got to keep going, right? So I think we got to simplify in, in order to make this a little bit more easy to achieve. So when I started reading or when I started writing the book, I did some research on data governance. And at the time, there was this pretty popular definition of data governance. By the way, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but when you Google data governance at the time, it came back and it was like a it was like a page long <laughs> because data governance had become the kitchen sink. And they're just like, oh, well, that doesn't work. And, you know, we'll do it. The data governance is training. It's literacy. It's data governance. The whole thing was just a mess, right? It's data quality. It's protection. It's risk. It's compliance. It's security. It's definitions. It's parameters. It's the whole, it was the whole dang thing. And so I started talking about data governance and four operational things, right? It's about usage, lineage, protection, and quality. You, know, you, can, you can define it beautifully however you want, but... Honestly, if you can operationalize those four things, I think you're in a good shape. So how did you, I, I like the simplicity of these four things here. So how, how did you come upon these four things and, and what, what did they kind of represent for you? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure I was pacing around in my office here. I trying to figure out, like, I was trying to answer the question, how would I define data governance? And by the way, I've seen some of those big definitions too. I think I have the the Dama book around here somewhere that's got some of that. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, God bless them, right? I mean, somebody had to put some eloquent words to it. Um, but what I and I and I did, you know, make some lovely definitions, but then I was talking to a client of mine and they're like, Well, that's yeah, sure. I mean, I agree with that, Laura, but what am I supposed to do today? And I was like, Oh, right. You know, my, my job isn't to help you understand and pontific, you know, through my pontification, as it were, my mm -hmm. job is to help you figure out what you're supposed to be doing today. And so I stopped trying to figure out how to define it and came up with those four categories. And it, and it was really easy for me from this category perspective. I will contend probably till the end of my data career that if you're not focusing on usage of the data for anything that you're doing in this work, anything, then just like stop doing it because the only reason we do any of it is so people can use the data. That was not always true with governance. Um, so for me, it was, it would, it had to start with usage. And then the second one was obvious for me as well. It's, it, you know, if there is no data quality, there's no data governance. And people, by the way, will argue with me about that all the time, but they are the two sides of the same coin. Um, and then you know, lineage for me became something critically important because the only way you know the value chain of your data is through that lineage piece. And for a long time, one of the cha biggest challenges we had in governance was our inability to really answer the question, well, what happens between me entering it into 
you know, my front end system and the dashboard that I get at the back end. Like what happens? And it would take days or weeks to answer that question. Right. And and how are you supposed to govern anything if you don't know what the heck happens to it in between A and Z? So a lineage was something that, you know, from an operational perspective had to happen. Um, and then protection has to come along. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of the world we live in. That makes a lot of sense. And so usage, lineage, protection, quality, just to kind of slow down and even go into these a little bit further. Like when you talk about usage, for example, mm-hmm. are you talking about, um, the use of the data as in like, you know, somebody needs to get access to the data and ultimately they need to get access, assuming they have the right purpose, the right, you know, situation, et cetera. Or is it more about looking at what is the data that people are using and really thinking about it more from an uh, analysis or kind of building up your knowledge of these different assets through the lens of usage? Or is it both of those things? Or is it something different? Yeah. So access is more of the protection. So who has access to what? Um, For me, usage, the way that I was thinking about it was, you know, people using that data to make decisions for their organizations. Mm. Um, Eyeballs on the data, essentially. And, you know, that's always a tough one because we, we, as data people, have a really, sometimes have a really hard time letting go. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only data person with control issues. Um, you're, you're not alone. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in order to increase usage, we have to let go of the control a little bit. And and I advocate for that idea a lot between processes like agile and and allowing this concept of usage. But if people don't get eyes on the data, then they can't ask the questions. And if they can't ask the questions, then they're not going to be able to make good business decisions. But also think about how we drive and govern data that we can't, we couldn't possibly keep up with. I mean, there's just so much data and there are so many concepts in any average organization. And those folks that work on the front end and are using that data can actually help drive better data quality and governance standards by using the data and then being our partners with how they, you know, present that back. But the problem is, is that you have to let them use it. And sometimes bad stuff happens when you, when you let people use the data. And, and I don't necessarily mean bad, like you're locked in the room with corporate risk attorneys for two weeks, bad. Sometimes that happens. That sounds kind of bad. (laughs) That was not, that was not my best month, but, um, (laughs) But bad in like, you know, averaging or summing averages, you know, because sometimes that happens. Right. Um, and, and, you know, organizations need to have better ways of having these conversations about rationalizing deltas and data and not pointing fingers, which is hard. Right. All right. So how, how do we, how do we start when you're, when you are in an organization that has this culture of being more command and control? That they that they people realize, yeah, I mean, we got to do something different. But how do we start to go change? Either how do we start the, the culture? What, what are the recommendations that you would give on on kind of the processes on people? Um, is there different technologies that we need to go bring in, or, or just I'm trying to understand a little bit. We want to get people into this world of, of let's start disrupting the way we're doing governance today. Right. Like, how would we start? 
Yeah. Well, one of the one of the things I generally recommend is, you know, if if well, so first and foremost, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> if whatever you're doing is working for you, like I'm not here to just blow stuff up and see what happens. That's that's not gonna do any of us any favors. But second to that, I think, you know, if you know you have issues and you know things are not working, then then take a, a good internal look at your organization and figure out what is happening and why. If, if you can ascertain that some of the reasons it's not working the way you had hoped is because of that command and control constructs that you're using, then work on that. You know, I mean, th there's, there's a number of ways to kind of tackle this. And, and, and of course we, you know, I'm a consultant now, so it depends, but, um, you know, I, I would say that the work starts with the people first and, and so many organizations under resource governance and data quality, and then enjoy complaining that they don't have any data governance or data quality. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sounds like there's a, there's a diagnosis here of like, what are some of the ailments that are going, that are problematic for an organization and then, and then yep. prioritizing those things. Right. And it sounds like you're saying that one of these common ailments here is just not enough people, like not enough, like mind minds and people focused on governance and quality in these different issues. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big one. So, I mean, this goes back to a lot of stuff we've always talked about is you really need to go have is, I mean, obviously you need to have the, the sponsorship, the executive buyer and everything. But if if your organization doesn't have that leadership, who's thinking about that, if, if your leadership is thinking about, well, we don't have governance and quality of data, and I'm not going to give you money to go solve that problem, then you're don't work there. Like that's bad leadership. Just get the hell out of there then. Right. So, so I think, so it, it, it probably is. I mean, if those are the issues that you're encountering, like that, that cycle right there, then just, I mean, that's not the place to go work at. And, and then people, executive leadership need to be, be honest with themselves and saying, okay, who are, who's, who's complaining about this stuff? And are they really thinking about the, 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 the possible solutions? And the solution is, Let's put, let's actually start understanding where we need more people around this before we think about technology and stuff. Right. So again, the call, the call for action, call for arms to, to, to leadership is you got to be honest and OBS with yourself, right? If you're complaining about it, what are you actually doing to go solve that problem? And right. don't stop complaining. <laughs> stop complaining. You, the solution's <laughs> in your hand, right? I mean, it is, right? Because it, it absolutely is. I mean, I, th I think the reality is, you know, as a, as an executive, you're pulled in a million different directions and, you know, you, you maybe have five open FTE positions and you probably need 15. And, and so back on us as data professionals, if we are not able to have a real conversation about what it takes to get this work done um, to, to the degree that it helps convince our executives that there's some opportunity there, then, then we may have some, you know, I don't necessarily think it's low hanging fruit because those conversations rarely happen in one instance. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of situations where I've worked with organizations where the executive just says to me, I'm happy to hand over what they need. They just can't articulate what they need. And, yeah. and so sometimes we're our own worst enemies.
That can be a challenge, especially when folks don't fully understand. And I'm, I'm glad that we're finally all starting to have the governance conversation because it's had it's been a little bit of a bad word. I think it still is, but at least we're talking about it. Right. Um, and you know, and it seems like sometimes folks have trouble articulating the business case around these sort of support and enablement and management roles, right? Like it's easy to be like, oh, we need more reports. Oh, let's get another BI engineer. We need more uh, data flowing. Oh, let's hire another data engineer, right? But like, if you're like, man, we've got challenges around sort of quality usage, lineage and protection, right? Like the, the, the folks aren't really trained and well set up to be like, oh, you know what? We need governance people or we need data product managers or we need, you know, stewards or these other types of roles in the organization. Right, right. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an art to the data conversation, and and in so many organizations, when when they talk about data, I, I think there's an anticipation that it's some kind of like concrete, very tactical function, like answer the question, how can I fix my data governance, or how can I fix my data quality, and they expect it to be, you know, like a a black and white situation. And, and the truth is, is that our data functions live in an ecosystem of a larger organization. And there are no natural boundaries in an ecosystem. It's not like I can come in and say definitively every time you need to do these things with data governance and everything's fine. You know, here your band-aids all fixed up better. It doesn't work that way. You know, it, it's, it, it's all of our data is is a is a byproduct of of a human environment and it's it's as reflective of that <laughs> right um, and and so there is no straightforward it, there's an art to how you talk about this kind of stuff yeah there's a, there's an art to the science and there's a complexity mm -hmm. that needs to be navigated here and I know that one of the things you really strongly advocate in in your talks, in your book, and in general is around this concept of bringing agility to data governance. And it sounds like that's it seems like that's kind of a relevant concept when we think about like, oh, I don't have enough people. I want to move more uh, quickly. I want to do the right stuff. I want to navigate this risk and compliance. C can you share a little bit more about like what do you mean when you say agility around data governance or agile data governance? Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> So I learned, so let's just, for let's step back and talk about what we mean by agile in this con mm -hmm. context, right? Um, for a long time when executives would say, well, we need to be more agile or there's gotta be more agility. The concept of agile or agility was a great thing from an organizational perspective. Then we started putting some constraints on it by process and scrum and Kanban. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, everybody's like, ah, agile doesn't work, you know, it's just, smaller increments and more meetings and blah, blah, blah. So when we talk about agile, from my perspective, it's agile little a, as in creating more agility. And I, and I was incredibly fortunate to learn a lot of the primary um, constructs of agile from David Hussman, who is a very well-known um, person, at least in the Twin Cities, but he spoke and worked um, worldwide on, on agile. And one of the things David um, helped me understand was that the value of agile is really about delivering the work and removing the process steps that end up happening in most organizations as a byproduct of proving that you're doing the work. So it's those flaming hoops, right? It's the software that we have to enter all the stuff in so that we can run a report to prove that we were busy spending the time doing the work, <laughs> not the actual delivering of the work. Um, and, as, and as soon as he kind of helped me understand that, I was hooked because 
A, I hate maintenance and repetitive tasks. Doing laundry, washing dishes, filling out a flipping screen on my PPM so I can prove that I was busy all week. That crap has no, <laughs> just, it's boo, right? Um, but if I can do something and show you the tangible value by something like a data quality dashboard or a definition that everybody can, you know, sort of get behind, that's definitive work that I can hand off. So the con that as soon as I sort of understood that, I was like behind it. And then I thought, well, data governance is the least agile thing I can think of. <laughs> right? Isn't it? Like this mess, this bureaucratic, monolithic, you know. The ivory I, tower. Oh, gosh. I have an example of somebody I'd interviewed when I was reading, when I was writing the book. It took them 18 months to define the weight of a patient. Weight, like how much the patient weighs. And, um, and so I asked her, I said, well, what did you do in the meantime? Because that's the real, that's, that's the real kicker, right? Is, is this actually a joke? Cause the answer was they, they waited. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I felt an opening. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Here we go. Um, <laughs> They didn't wait. I mean, they couldn't wait, right? Um, they they kept they kept humming along. But the whole point was they used a definition that they had been using the whole time, mm -hmm. and therein lies this concept of you know they were keeping themselves busy and being able to prove it with all these meetings along the way, providing virtually no value to the organization, and they called that data governance. <laughs> and then you wonder why executives are like, yeah, geez, let me get behind this. What? It's crazy. Right. It, it makes just, it really hard to explain why you're going to put a bunch of resourcing behind something that that results in those types of outcomes. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, yeah. this resonates so much with us on our side because like, so, you know, Juan and I and, and, and several others that, that uh, you know, are at data.world and, you know, we, we talked a lot, we talk a lot about agile data governance and how, you know, it, first of all, it doesn't have to be a capital A, it can be a lowercase a, right? Like, don't become so, don't just think of this as yet a new process obsession, right? right? right. Uh, but instead be thinking about like, how do we bring the right folks together iteratively to solve, you know, creating these products, whether they're policy or process oriented products, whether they're data products, whether they're, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish as an organization, how can you get to value faster? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that is uh, a lot of what I talk about in the in the book is stripping away all that stuff and getting to these smaller increments or pieces of work. And, and that idea of good, better, best, you know, because if, if it's good enough now, then let's just go and we'll continue to, you know, work through improving. But, you know, it's crazy to me to think that somebody would you know, create this, like indoctrinate or bless this one definition of something and then expect nothing to change associated with it. You know, it's like the data is going to change. The databases will change. How they enter the data will change. How we think about that thing will change. But we're going to spend all this time and bless this thing and then and then have to go back and change it again. It So in other words, as soon as I started thinking about it, a data governance aligned extremely well to agile concepts because you need to have a way of introducing this possibility for change over time. Mm -hmm. And you needed a way to be able to prove that value in a real tangible way for protection. 
And as soon as, you know, you started thinking about it like that, right? Of course, why wouldn't agile work for data governance? So I'm a huge advocate for that. And I think from creating the definitions to creating the data standard quality parameters for monitoring and everything in between uh, can be certainly created from an agile perspective. I think one of the things that I really like, uh, kind of the positions that we actually advocate is go create a backlog. Like, let's go, let's go. Yes. People want to, people want to go, uh, or complain about this stuff. Well, or you know what, let me go, let's make a list of all this backlog of the mm -hmm. things. Um, when I talk about catalogs, like in general catalogs, it's like, let's, let's go, let, let's go catalog. Let's make that laundry list of all those things that you're thinking about. Right. And let's go put that out. And, um, Let's go see how, what value this is. Who cares about this stuff? Now that we've actually written this down somewhere, let's go see who cares about this and not just who cares about it, but why do they care about it? And let's dig into that why. All And, and you go why, 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 and you keep going until you really find that end business user who is like, I need this because... Mm -hmm. Uh, we're 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 leaving money on the table because we we we're, we're so something it's connected to the value it's going to bring it back to the to, to the to, to the business, and now once you have that laundry list called the laundry list of all the your backlog of stuff, yeah. start associating it to the people. Okay, oh, this is no technology, right? I mean, right, use it. This is all just like, use a spreadsheet, conflict, whatever you want, right? Yeah. Let's make let's get this list out, and then we're like, okay. Now we have not just a list of things that people are complaining about. Now we know why they complain about these things and who cares about this and the value that is associated to it. And now let's actually go knock these out. Who who want, let's now we can prioritize. Can yes. we do them in parallel? Let's go have sprints. Let's go expect let's let's go set expectations in one or two weeks. Let's go do this stuff, right? And we do this all the time for software. Like we should be doing this for 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 uh, for data and for governance and all that right. stuff. So I think this is this this is, I mean, for us it kind of seems we're we're all here shaking our heads, right? There's people on there's comments on 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 here on paper was like, yes, this is the way it is. There's, a, there's right. a, Brian is like slow clap when you just talked about the 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 pains right here. I'm I'm curious why don't people get this? I mean, why are why are, why do we still have a lot of folks who are like, well, I got to go do this top down governance and. I mean, you see this kind of from the, depending on the domain that they're in, right? The industries, right? Maybe it's, we're very, uh, finance is always afraid, they're at risk and stuff. And so is that it? Is that, you will always be in a domain where you're always going to be thinking about risks, so you're never going to be agile? Or can you actually be able to bring in agile practices to areas who have just traditionally been always about dealing with risks and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's probably one of the biggest... Uh, points of contention that I get from people. So I've spent my most of my career, 20 plus years in healthcare. And, uh, and it's the thing that, you know, particularly when I first released the book, I got a lot of feedback, like, oh, that's, you know, it's great, but it'll never work in healthcare. Um, because of that reason, right? Because we have so many regulatory um, things that we have to, you know, we have to deal with on a day to day basis. So there's absolutely aspects of data governance that will be and have to be under that sort of umbrella of regulatory risk, you know, compliance, that kind of a thing. Um, and they have to follow rules that somebody else dictates, which, boo, 
right? Because I've mm-hmm. always had issues with authority. So I'm never going to be the com- head of compliance, right? Um, but one of the ways that I advocate internally for organizations is the first thing that you do, as soon as you realize that whatever you're doing for data governance isn't working and you know you're going to have to figure out how to redo it and disrupt it, and you also know it can't be command and control anymore, the next thing you do is particularly if you're in a very regulated industry is go find your chief privacy officer, compliance officer, risk officer, whoever that person is in your organization and create what I lovingly refer to as the happy alliance. Because you can't do this work in a highly regulated industry thinking about that stuff later. That's, that's how I ended up in that room for two weeks with corporate risk attorneys because we thought about the the architecture of the asset after. <laughs> and if you can create a happy alliance on the front end, then everything happens in a way that allows for that to be built in and part and parcel to it. It's that whole privacy by design thing. And I, and I believe that even that can be made in an agile way, as long as you're following a lot of the regulatory needs that have to happen in, as an example, healthcare, right? So you follow the policies, you follow the procedures, you outline what needs to happen, who does it. It's just documentation for a lot of it, right? Um, gosh, have a great lineage tool. That will answer a lot of the questions. Um, so I, I do believe that those two things are actually a lot more um aligned than people like to think Hmm. can can you uh, i like this notion of happy alliance let me dig into this can you give me give us some examples of what is a happy alliance and and then uh on on the other side what would be an unhappy alliance alliance. yeah i've had a few unhappy alliances um so (laughs) uh gosh the vodka's kicking in i almost made a joke about college um so (laughs) So heavy alliance, you know, a great example is one of the things I recommend organizations do when they when they're disrupting their data governance and they're ready to blow it up um, is to create an inception board. And that group is together for six sessions. There's a very specific scope. And essentially, they're setting the, the function, the charter for their new data governance and your your privacy compliance officer, whomever that is and it's usually a couple of different people um, are at the table for that part. And they help uh, identify that scope and create that. Uh, most of the folks that I've been working with, particularly in the last like year and a half, are really partner focused because they know that they can't do that work if they're not aligning well with you know the, the data people at the end of the day. Um, but that's really one of the best ways to start is to just have this inception board where that that group of people, that happy alliance, can help create some of the processes that a different group of people actually operationalize. Um, so I think that's probably the the fastest way to do it. And it's and most times when it's particularly like InfoSec or your CISO group or something like that, they're they'll be thrilled to be at the table because most of the time they're just begging. Um, yeah. I had one. I had one recently tell me, it's like, you know, if if they would just stop keeping me at arm's length, I can actually help and provide a lot of air cover. But if they keep me at arm's length and do the things that I know they're doing, then and the worst happens, 
I can't help. You know, right? you, I, can't, I can't help when those audits start. You know, the the listening through this right now, it, it, it I mean, my realization, the realization here is that we, we think about this as such a complicated problem. And in reality, we don't even talk to other people around us. Exactly. And and what, what you just said, like, I, I don't want to go talk to them or like, I don't like, I mean, first of all, like, they're probably nice people. And, 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 and as you just said, well, hopefully they're nice people, but, but they're there, but, but they, they know that they need to partner with other people too, yes. right? To get their jobs done. How about we just sit around the table and let's go talk about this stuff and let's go figure out how we can go. I mean, this, so my original question is like examples of happy Alliance. Well, it just starts out by inviting somebody to the table. Uh, it's as simple as that. And, and so many problems, are, I mean, can be addressed by just go talk to somebody else because mm -hmm. we don't. Yes, and, and, and then and then then we just go to the extremists like oh we just go buy technology right technology is going to solve this problem right and then like, well you forgot the first part which is talking to other human beings and it doesn't have to always be that complicated no no i mean there's lots of complicated complexity in this right i mean there's just there's no doubt about that but there's a lot that we put in our own way in terms of that complexity and it's like any given you know soapy drama that you can think of right 90 percent of that storyline is about me not saying the thing i'm supposed to be saying to juan because i'm worried that juan is going to react in a way that i don't want that's that's all it is right sometimes we and forget so, that we're adults in a room too right? right yes and adulting is hard i mean let's be honest yeah, but, that's true. That's true. But you know, sometimes it is a lot easier uh, than the alternative, and I do think that we forget that a lot. Um, I, I'm 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 biased on this, but we 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 need to have more of this honest, no BS spirit within. <laughs> uh, yeah, with, with your colleagues, with your work. Like at the end of the day, like I I, I don't want to have any friction. Like I want to go figure this out. I mean, your success is my success. My success is your success. Like we just need to have that conversation and, 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 and don't be guarded. Like, let's just be, let's be respectful, but let's be honest. Yeah. And just, like, well, I got, well, I've got time to go waste on this stuff. Let's go figure this out. And anyway, some companies, that's a big culture change there, right? This intellectual discourse about especially delicate topics like compliance and governance and stuff like that. Like we need to all kind of like loosen up a little bit and start having that conversation. Right. I, I like Vino's comment here. Uh, data governance will ever remain as a balancing act between empowerment and constriction. Finding the balance between these two opposing forces is where the magic is. And I think yeah. that balance is what you're calling the happy alliance. Yeah, yeah. There's always a balance, right? It's the nuance, um, the art and the science, right? Mm -hmm. Is there's then and there's and I've said this in many talks. It's like there's no black and white in any of this. It's just a million shades of gray. Right. Just a million of them. Well, and hopefully you can find some win-win though, because I, I think that's the only caution that I have about your comment, Vino, is that it makes it sound a little bit like it's a like it's a, a spectrum. And I think that where there's especially opportunity, and especially what I'm getting out of some of our conversation with your Laura, is around like, hey, when can empowerment actually make it so that you can be safer? And when can you know some of these policies or these processes that you put in place actually make it so that empowerment becomes easier or more predictable or higher right. quality? Those right. are especially the 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 win-win things. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you think about it like this, you start having these conversations, you bring your CISO or your privacy officer to the table and you start to sort of imbue that across your organization. Then you have everybody thinking about it. And that that is where the magic really happens. You have somebody saying, well, should I do this with the data? Is this right? You know, um, I just shove this jump drive in my pocket and I'm going to go to the club not next. Is that a good idea? You know, it's got, it's got everybody's credit card numbers on it. Should I think about that? <laughs> you know, it's it's the opportunity to think about, well, gosh, I, I'm looking at this dashboard and it doesn't look quite right. Um, maybe I should just ask that question. You know, it it's that it's those conversations. It's empowering people to ask the questions and react in a way that allows them to feel like they did the right thing instead of like, ugh, stupid users. Which, you know, how many people have done that, right? It's like, oh, I'm so tired of these users. And my job would be great if it wasn't for the users. <laughs> More for these dang customers, my life would be great. Yes. And then you'd have no job. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, let them ask the questions and then answer the questions. And then you create a, a great you know, conversation point where the next time they get stuck, they're either going to come to you or the next time somebody else gets stuck, they can say, you can really trust Tim, go talk to him. And, and that is that, that trust, right? That little gossamer thread of trust is what we all search for in our data functions. Absolutely. And, you know, before we go into our lightning round, this is, this has been an amazing conversation, Laura. Um, One last question for you before we do that. Uh, how do you think about measurement, like when it comes to implementing governance, implementing agile data governance? How do you measure effective governance? Yeah, I love measurement because I'm a data person at the end of the day, right? <laughs> um, I, I mean, we have to back up what we're doing somehow. And, and when you do agile in, you know, I mean, even in like JIRA, there's reports and stuff. And so, so there's a little bit of like, well, how much time did you actually spend and all of that? And those things are really nice. I mean, I, I think that they're a great, great way of kind of framing up the conversation. Don't go too crazy because anytime, you know, then you're really just the same thing as, you know, those flaming hoops that we used to talk about in project management waterfall. Um, but, you know, one of the ways that I talk about it is those four categories we talked about, right? Usage, quality, protection, lineage. I consider them epics. And so in any given sprint, um, any task that we do should align to one of those epics. And then you can kind of think about it like levers. So it's like, oh, I spent 25% of my time on usage. And I can prove that because... Oh. You know, uh, the number of access points in the dashboard went up, you know, X number of new people were looking at this thing, however you decide to do that. But it it ties all the way through from that four operational categories all the way down to what a person is doing within the data itself. So hmm. I yeah, like that lens on it. That's interesting. I'm writing this down. This is a really interesting way of thinking about how to go measure, right? On these four lenses that you have, the usage, the quality, the lineage, the protection, and you can quantify around that, right? How many, I, I can get a bar on, what is the bar today? How many people are using this stuff, right? Yep. Okay. And then see if that goes in. We can go measure quality and see how that's changing, right? We can go, I mean, on the lineage, we can see, understand how people are, how fast people are dealing with uh, mm -hmm. impact analysis type of stuff. And this is a really interesting way of doing that. 
that that's a really great take uh, and you can you can kind of tie it in with other metrics as well like if you if you've got a catalog or some other tool and you want people to be adopting that and things like that tying that to then okay we spend a bunch of time on lineage now do people feel like they're getting more value out of the tools there's some some ways to tie this all together yeah you can even you can even imagine saying well uh we have all our, our data our, all these transforms are a big mess and stuff. So we spend all this time in lineage to figure things out. Hopefully we actually start improving things such that quality goes up, complexity. I mean, so quality goes up with the data because we reduce the complexity of things, which means that we're actually doing using so, less, using less lineage because the lineage is simpler. So um, I, this is a this is a really interesting. Got me thinking here. This is great. I love it. <laughs> All right, all right. We time flies. Look, it's almost fifty minutes. I told you this. this we can keep talking for hours. So we got to move on to our lightning round right now, which is uh, presented by Data.World, the world's only truly cloud native data catalog. I'm going to kick it off with our first one, which is: Does agile data governance start with a mindset change? Yes or no? All right. Oh, boy. I hope not. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um. All right, next question for you. Can the most restrictive organizations achieve a faster version of governance? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, you mentioned the issues with top-down mandated definitions. Do you believe shared definitions are important? Just crowdsourced or should we collaboratively define one? Yeah, no, I, we have to create shared definitions where I advocate is that you create shared definitions on only a handful of metrics that you use to compare across functions in your organization. So if you know you have to compare it across something, you know, across time, across campuses, across units, departments, whatever, then there should be a shared blessed definition that um, should be reviewed pretty consistently to make sure that it still aligns with how you think about your business. All right, final question for you here. Is there such a thing as the big splash or the big win when it comes to governance? <laughs> that you're going to ask me if there's such things as unicorns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think there is. I don't think there's a big win. I don't think there's like a big aha moment. I don't, I don't even think there's that many big milestones when it comes to governance. It is a lot of, you know, keep, just just keep doing the work just keep up the good fight um you know you may have some wins in any given day but um you know the the main thing is you're just you're continuing on oh this is great this is uh, and, uh, very surprising uh, uh the, the the answer to the first one does agile did i cover start with the mindset change hope not I was thinking is like, yeah, you need to have a mindset change, but actually it makes sense to say like, it shouldn't be, if, if you need to have that mindset change, then it's going to just more barriers. So, all right, Tim, T, 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 Tim takes it away with our takeaways. Go, go take it, take us away. All right. Time for some takeaways. So first of all, uh, really loved our riff around the analogy around cars uh, and Laura, took, you took it in a great direction, really thinking about the roads and the signs and the infrastructure and how does this all play together, right? And the sort of previous approach around governance has been a lot of command and control, a lot of policing, like one definition kind of being mandated and all this fear mongering. 
and we really need to simplify what we're doing around governance. And you provided a, a framework to think about it, which was usage, lineage, protection, and quality. Um, and really going into how we can use all of these and work on them together. Um, and then, you know, to get more usage, you really mentioned that we have to start letting go of control. And that's a that's a new paradigm that's a little different for a lot of folks, but it's a key takeaway here that like, how can we actually accelerate our organization by letting go of control and replacing it with maybe some other better things? What about you, Juan? So I got so two, two main things. One, I love how, how to start, right? If it isn't broken, don't fix it. Don't leave it right for now. But um, the, the other one is go find those command and control issues, right? You start, when you start navigating, you realize, okay, this is broken because there's a command and control issue. Let's go identify those people first. I mean, there's just so many, so many things can be addressed by getting people together in the same room, right? Um, and this is a, communication is clear. I mean, we need to have more communication. We really need to articulate what we need. I think this is something that is really missing is that we need more data. We, we need more governance or we don't, or we people, what about, tell me exactly what is it that you need? I think this is really something that, that we struggle with. Then being agile is to focus on delivering the work. Uh, and I think it's, it's something that we, we need to be careful of not just being perfect, right? If it's good enough, let's go with that. We can continue to improve. And that's the agile aspect of it. It doesn't need to be perfect. Let's just start, start showing value. Um, and when people say, well, this will never work here. This will never work in healthcare, right? That's when you start thinking about this happy alliance, right? Go find those, those folks from the compliance of privacy, right? Let's go sit down uh, at a table, have this inception board, right? Go create these scopes. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're all partner. We should be partner focused, right? I mean, your success is our success and vice versa. So I really think that these are kind of really very clear uh, steps to be thinking about when we're being agile. And, and finally, going back this whole metrics, I really like how we can start measuring how we're doing uh, on, when it comes to governance, think about usage, the quality, the lineage, the protection. And at the end of the day, as you just said, um, there is no aha moment. There's no uh, big milestone. It's just, this is, con this is continuous work all the time because everything's changing. Yep. How did we do on our takeaways? Good summary or something we missed? Yeah, no, I think it's good. Well, Laura, we're attention. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do really, our best. There's booze you know, involved, though, so you know it's, it's a miracle. <laughs> well, Laura, let's throw it back to you. Two questions. Uh, one, what's your advice? And second, who should we invite next? Yeah, gosh, what's my advice? My my advice generally is just keep going. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be a huge win, um, but it's those little things every day that you do to keep that concept of governance in your organization first and for, foremost is is critically important um, for that long-term success so just keep just keep swinging um, <laughs> and uh, and then so so the next person I am one of those people that firmly believe that um, data governance uh, and data literacy are very tied together. Uh, I am not a data literacy um, expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, different conversation, right? But you know how important it is when we, particularly when we talk about talk about communication, and how important that is for our data functions, our data organizations. So, a good friend of mine is one of the co-founders of Be Data Lit, and her name is Sarah Nell Rodriguez, and I think she'd be great. 
love this. Please, uh, Sarah, if you're listening, you'll be on here. If you're not, <laughs> Laura will send you this podcast. And then- <laughs> hey, <guess> what? <laughs> no, awesome. and by the way, love your comment about data literacy and data governance being very tightly tied together. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Awesome. Laura, thank you so much. This was a fantastic conversation. Uh, so many very concrete takeaways, which is what I love. People can actually go be do something very actionable about it. I'm like, I'm still thinking about like the metrics of how to think about uh, how to start measuring. Um, next week, we have uh, Luke Slowinski, who's a VP of data analytics at Prologis. And we're going to be talking about uh, data leadership, how leadership needs to be thinking about data. So a lot of the aspects that we talked here today, uh, Luke uh, will be touching on. Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. Discussion and again, uh, disrupting data governance. This is uh, something we need to go read. And uh, thank you to Data.World always for supporting Catalan Cocktails. Cheers. Have a great Wednesday. Cheers. <laughs>